You're listening to a sermon preached at Meridian Church. For more information about Meridian Church, visit meridianchurch.com. It is our hope that this sermon is used by the Holy Spirit to minister to you the grace and peace found in Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. And now, here's your sermon audio. God's Holy Word to the Gospel of John. John chapter 10. We'll be looking at verses 22 through 42. John 10, beginning with verse 22. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around Him and said to Him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone Him. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are God's? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him, whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming, because I said I am the Son of God? If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that The Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Again they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. Many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Father, grant us grace now, grace of conviction, to make plain to us any kind of preconceived, ungodly, self-imagined 
worldly ideas of who your Christ is. May we not be blind to the Christ who is so much more by a lesser one that we've imagined. So give us eyes to see if we're looking for the wrong Christ. And give us eyes to see the true Christ in His glory and beauty. Grant the new birth that goats might become sheep. And those sheep hear your voice, obey, follow you. Father, grant us a proper awe and reverence now as we come under your word. Show us Jesus. In Christ's name we ask this, amen. Who is Jesus is a unique question. If it's asked of you, you might think you're acting as judge, that Jesus is on trial. And it's left to you to determine who He is. In reality, all men stand in the dock as already condemned. And when that question comes to you, who is Jesus? Insofar as the truth of Scripture is being brought to bear upon you in answering that question, you're not sitting as judge You're sitting in the dock as condemned, and with that question, an offer of pardon is being extended to you. Sinner, you stand, you sit in the dock today, guilty and condemned before the holy judge of heaven. The scripture is bringing that question to bear upon you afresh once more. Who is Jesus? And pardon is laid before you. Pardon unto eternal life or condemnation further secured unto an eternal hell is set before you by that singular question. We're nearing the end of the first half of John, known as the book of signs, running from John 1 to John 11. And... In this book of signs, John presents seven signs that are central to his purpose. He expressly tells us this in chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. Now many other signs, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, And that by believing, you may have life in His name. That question, who is Jesus, is being brought to, the answer to it is being brought to bear upon you by John. It's giving you the answer for life. This book of signs is coming to a close. We also saw that beginning with chapter 5, we came to the substance. This, this distinct subsection within the book of signs known as the festival cycle. We have 
from 5 to 10, this, this is closing out that festival cycle. From 5 to 10, we have four feasts, four signs. And in it all, there's growing hostility towards Christ. And throughout this cycle, this witness, testimony, judgment theme has dominated Jesus' interactions with the Jews. So there is this courtroom atmosphere, this legal ambiance to all of Jesus' interactions with the Jews through chapters 5 through 10. And in John's narrative, as he's telling the story, this is the last interaction of Jesus with the Jews. Chapter 11 serves as something of this transition between the book of signs and the book of glory, the latter half of John. As we come to the seventh sign, the resurrection of Lazarus, before we come to that second portion of John, the book of glory, in which the sign of signs, the death and resurrection of our Lord, is the sole focus. No other signs are done. In chapter 12, we'll see Jesus interact some with the crowds, but then He comes to pronounce upon them the same judgment that He pronounced upon the leaders in chapter 9, leaving them to their blindness. And so then from chapters 13 through 17, we have only Jesus' intimate interactions with His disciples before His betrayal, arrest, and crucifixion. So understanding what lies ahead, you see, this is the last interaction of Jesus with the Jews, with the leaders. These are the closing arguments. John doesn't give us that detailed uh, sketch of Jesus' trial before the Sanhedrin, like the Synoptic Gospels do. John focuses not on that private trial, He focuses on this public trial. And he brings this witness and this testimony to bear upon you. So that you're going through all of this with the Jews. Who is Jesus? And you understand, you sit in the dock. Jesus is the judge. Pardon is being extended to you in this. But they... Remain blind. Pardon is right before them. They remain blind to this. And they think that the places are switched. And that they stand in judgment over Jesus. So sinner I ask you. Who is Jesus? You know your soul right now. Who is Jesus? Who do you say that Jesus is? And I ask it not because I'm interested in your Opinion. That's not to say, I don't care what you say. I do care, but I don't ask you as though you were some authority and your opinion of Jesus really determined who He is. I ask you out of concern for your soul. Life and death eternally are on the line in your response to that singular question. No other question matters. Scripture gives you the answer. This final day of court opens like so many of the trials that we've witnessed so far. 
John 5.1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, John 6.4. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand, John 7.2 and 14. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. And now, verse 22, at that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. Four feasts, four signs, growing hostility towards Jesus. The courtroom has continually been so charged with anger that you sense a spontaneous execution could take place at any moment, and it stayed only by the sovereign hand of God because it is not yet the hour. Other, and, and so all these sparks are flying in a powder keg room, and yet Jesus remains perfectly serene through it all. Other than that first unidentified feast in chapter 5. And even there, you get the sense that Jesus is fulfilling the feast. But other than that unnamed feast, in all the instances where we're told what feast it is, what Jesus says and what Jesus does, ties in particularly to that feast. We've seen that, and this one's no exception. But, this is the first non-biblical feast. This is not a feast that Scripture ordains. It's not to say it's a bad feast. It's just not one that Scripture ordains. This is the Feast of Dedication, also known as the Feast of Lights, or Hanukkah. After Alexander the Great died, his kingdom was basically split among his generals into four parts the largest of which was the Seleucid Empire. And one of the later Seleucid emperors, Antiochus Epiphanes, in 167 BC, being more intent than any of his predecessors to Hellenize all people under his rules and finding the Jews in a a thorn in that task, desecrates the temple, dedicates it to Zeus, and sacrifices a pig on the sacred altar of Yahweh. In 164 BC, Judas Maccabeus, Judas the Hammer, defeats Seleucid forces, purifies the temple, and rededicates it to the one true God. Judas Maccabeus was their last great military political deliverer. This was the last great deliverance of the Jews in that sense of coming back to temple worship and being able to enjoy freedom in being the people of God in that distinct way. So, with this feast and the history it celebrates, can you see why their question is charged with preconceived notions? Be wary of coming to Jesus, looking for the Jesus you want. 
So it is as Jesus is walking in the temple, the Jews, the leaders again, gather around him. The thieves, the robbers, the strangers, the hirelings, the wolves circle around the good shepherd. They're annoyed. They're irritated. The idiom behind their words is somewhat lost. You have it as, how long will you keep us in suspense in the ESV? It's hard to translate. More strictly, it's something like, how long will you take our life away? You're draining. They're annoyed. They're irritated. They're fed up. They've had enough. How long will you keep us in suspense? It's asked with this sense of frustration and irritation. Are you the Christ? Speak plainly. Tell us plainly. And we, we almost laugh. Tell us plainly. The condemned demand of their judge testimony as to who he is. And yet, we need to pause and think of what lies behind their demand. Tell us plainly. There are three interwoven answers as to why they demand this. Tell us plainly. First, Jesus never explicitly and publicly says He's the Christ. In John, the only time you have Jesus do that is whenever He says it privately to the woman at the well. Chapter 4. You remember whenever Peter, Matthew 16, makes his grand confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus after that, we're told, strictly charged the disciples to tell no one he is the Christ. You remember how often the demons start saying who he is? And he says, be silent. Why does Jesus avoid explicitly saying that He's the Christ? The lights of Hanukkah prove most illuminating as to why that would be. What kind of Christ are they looking for? They're looking for another Judas Maccabeus. He dealt with the Greeks. Now they want the Christ to deal with. The Romans. If Jesus says yes to their question, he would be saying yes to a lie. He is the Christ. He is not that Christ. In John chapter 6, they get some of the pieces right. He's fed the 5,000. There's bread in the wilderness. There Jesus is upon the hill. He's the prophet like Moses that was promised. He's the Christ. But Jesus, we read, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. They believed he was the Christ, but they believed the wrong things about the Christ. And whenever Jesus begins to press the truth of who the Christ is upon them, I am the bread of life. They want nothing to do with that Christ. Jesus is not playing a politician's game. He's not after 
uh, playing a lie for popularity. Jesus hasn't told them that He is the Christ. He's told them so much more. He's told them who the Christ is. The true Christ. And He's told them that He is that Christ. So that's the first reason behind their demand. Tell us plainly. Second, Jesus has just, in chapter 10, spoken to them in a figure of speech. Tell us plainly. Jesus spoke to them in a figure of speech, and then He explained that figure of speech using two figures of speech. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. Tell us plainly. And to understand more of this, you need to understand what Jesus has just said in John and correlate that with what He says in Matthew about parables or figures of speech. So, Jesus had just told the blind man, for judgment I came into this world. That those who do not see may see. And that those who see, the Pharisees who think this is all so clear, they understand that those who see may become blind. And we're told some Pharisees overhear this and they ask, are we blind also? And Jesus answers, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. The disciples asked Jesus in Matthew 13, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answers, that the prophecy of Isaiah 6 might be fulfilled. Seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear. It's an act of judgment, leaving them to their blindness. That's why Jesus spoke to them in parables. And so... Second reason behind their demand, speak to us plainly, is because Jesus is speaking to them in figures of speech to leave them to their blindness. That's the third reason why they demand this. They're blind. They see only their conceptions of who the Christ is to be, and they cannot see the Christ who is. So again, I warn you, be wary of coming to Jesus, looking for the Jesus you want. So they asked... Jesus to speak plainly because Jesus hasn't explicitly referred to Himself as the Christ. Jesus has been speaking to them in a figure of speech. They're blind. And as you you see this, do not think that their ignorance is innocent. This is a willful, sinful ignorance. The reason that they remain in this ignorance is is due to sin. This is not the kind of ignorance that excuses them. This is the kind of ignorance that accuses them. This is the kind of ignorance that speaks to how dark, how wicked they are. So much so, that they're blind and hardened to the gospel, though it's walking and breathing right in front of them. This is the hardness of man left to himself. This is the hardness Of every one of us. But for the grace of God. That removed a heart of stone. And gave us a heart of flesh. Today if you fail to understand. Who Jesus is. My preaching may be weak. But I trust that the word of God is plain. Just in the reading of it. Before you right now. 
as to who Jesus is. If you fail to understand who Jesus is today, it's not a problem with the voice of God, with His Word. It's a problem with your ears. Not an intellectual problem. It's a moral problem. It's a heart problem. Jesus' answer to their demands, their demand has five parts that build up to a plain statement as to who He is. So first Jesus tells them, He has told them. And then He tells them, not only that they don't believe, He tells them why they don't believe. So He's told them they don't believe. Then He tells them of those who do believe what He has told them. And then the gift that those enjoy who believe what He's told them. And then the security of that gift for those who believe what He's told them. And all this builds up to a climactic statement of Jesus' identity which underlies the security of that gift given to the sheep that believe. In fact, it is what the sheep believe. The statement of His identity, it's what the sheep believe. And it's the reason why believing that, having life given to them by that person, they can be absolutely certain that that life is secure. Okay, so first Jesus tells them that He has told them, verse 25. Tell us plainly, I told you. How has Jesus told them? He told them, My teaching is not mine, but His who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. 7, 16 through 17. He's told them, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 7, 37 through 8. He has told them, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 8.12 He has told them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world, 823. He has told them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him, 828 through 29. He has told them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was... I am, 8.59. He has told them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture, 10.7 and 9. He has told them, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for a sheep. Jesus has told them, And he has told them again and again and again. Whenever the Jews came to him asking, who are you? In chapter 8, verse 25, he answered, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. He has told them. But here he draws their attention, not to his words, but to his works. Verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. 
His works bear witness as to who He is. This carries us back to chapter 5, the beginning of the festival cycle, where all these kind of interactions began. This is where the festival cycle ends, with Jesus' works bearing witness. There Jesus explained to those who wanted to kill Him for blasphemy, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these will He show Him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. The Father has given me works to do so that you may marvel. What kind of marveling? You're meant to marvel such that you honor Jesus just the way that you honor the Father. Jesus goes on to add, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. The works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. John 5, 31 through 32, 36 through 37. So this is why John wrote of these signs. Because these signs bear witness. And if you believe these signs, it means believing that He is the Christ, the Son of God. And believing that, you find life in His name. Jesus has told them, and He's told them not only with words, He's told them with wonders. He's shouted who He is. The Father has shouted who He is. The Spirit as He's anointing Christ to do these works has testified to who Christ is. Second, Jesus tells them, So his first answer is, he has told them, second part of his answer, he tells them not only that they do not believe, he tells them why they do not believe. Verse 26, they don't believe because they're not of his sheep. Jesus does not say, you're not a sheep because you don't believe. He says you don't believe because you're not a sheep. Behavior springs from being. A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Goats don't believe. Sheep do. Goats don't need to believe in order to be transformed. They need to be transformed in order to believe. Sheep hear Goats do not. This is why Jesus told Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3, 3. That's why Jesus told those who grumbled at his words in John chapter 6, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, 
and I will raise him up on the last day. This is not a general drawing. If the Father draws, Jesus says, I will raise him up. If you're drawn by the Father, you're a sheep. Jesus goes on to make that even more clear. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Every one of them. If the Father draws you, you come. And everyone who the Father teaches comes to Jesus. This is why after Jesus told the people, you are of your father the devil, he goes on to say, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The reason they don't believe is because who they are. Behavior springs from being. Who they are determines their actions. They do not believe They will not believe. They cannot believe. This does not excuse their unbelief. It testifies to their wickedness. How wicked are they? How wicked were you? But for the grace of God, you are so wicked that you are completely incapable of believing the truth. Third, Jesus tells them that the sheep do hear his voice. And they follow him and they believe, verse 27. And fourth, he gives to his sheep eternal life, verse 28. And fifth, this eternal life that he gives to his sheep is absolutely secure. Jesus not only gives eternal life, He gives it securely. Saints, revel in this glory and happiness. Your happiness, your joy in the Lord, is not simply that He gives you eternal life. That would be great, and it would be scary. That was it. What if I lose it? I've given this kind of gift. What if I lose it? doesn't just give eternal life. He gives it securely, certainly, surely. No one will snatch them out of His hand. No one is able to snatch them out of His Father's hand. Saints, this is where assurance. And when you hear assurance, think joyful faith. Faith in bloom and flourishing. This is where assurance goes to thrive. If you find that you've lost the joy of your salvation recently, this is where assurance goes to thrive. Don't look at the feeble hand of faith by which you lay hold of Christ. By faith, look to the Christ who holds you. He will never lose you. And no one is able to take you from the Father's hand because you've been purchased by the Son. 
the Father gave a flock to Jesus. And Jesus gives that flock, having redeemed and purchased them by His blood, back to His Father. No one is able to take them from their hands. Saints, do not fear that those nail scars are an impediment to Christ holding you fast. Those nail scars say that He will never lose you. Well, the son who's been given this flock by his father, who would obey unto death, he's demonstrated his zeal to do his father's desires. Would he ever lose any of those given to him by his father? And will the father who receives that flock from those nail-pierced hands ever let go of one of them? Purchased at the price of His Son. You are secure. Not one will be lost. There will be one flock, one shepherd. They hear His voice. He gives them eternal life. And none will pluck them from His hand. Held fast by the Father and the Son through the Spirit who seals them. And underlying this security is this deep well. I and the Father are one. Those hands are a single pair of hands. I and the Father are one. Takes us back to the beginning of John, doesn't it? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. It brings us back to all the previous statements. For which they wanted to kill and stone Jesus. 5.17, Jesus said, My Father is working until now and I and working, and afterward we read, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. This is why in chapter eight, when Jesus tells them, "Before Abraham was, I am." After that, they seek to stone him. Jesus has been speaking plainly. They understand exactly what He's saying. That's why they want to stone Him, because they don't believe what He's saying. I've told you, and you do not believe. They're asking Him, are you the Christ? When He's been telling them, the Christ is God. That's what they won't believe. They cannot believe. It's why they seek to kill him. The problem is not that Jesus has been holding back. The problem is he's been laying it on. Many of you have sat under the preaching of Christ for years. It has been laid heavy upon you. 
And I hope you realize now, it's only by the Spirit's grace you begin to own something of the sinfulness in this. That yours has been a willful ignorance. You know, but you ignore what you know. It's a willful and sinful ignoring of the truth of Christ put before you in the Scriptures that prevents you from believing. But this grace is certain and sure today. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Christ you've ignored. And He will not ignore you. He will give you certain and secure life. So it is that they take up stones once more to stone him. Verse 31, Jesus intercepts them with a question. And he brings them back to his works. Verse 32, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And they reply, it's not for your works, but for your words. Because you, being God, being man, have made yourself God. The reality is, Jesus is not a man making himself God. He's God who's made himself man. And the word became flesh. And the truth is, blasphemy is happening right now. And someone deserves to die. And it's not Jesus. If they've heard Jesus' works, they would know who it is that deserves death. Jesus' answer to this false charge is also his final argument. It has two parts. And the first part is an argument from the lesser to the greater. If God in Psalm 82 and verse 6 refers to judges as gods, and he's referring to corrupt judges, they would know that context. Psalm 82, God is speaking to judges who have acted wickedly, and he's talking about their charge, their place, how they've acted in their In that position. You are gods. So if God says to wicked men. You are gods. How can you say to the one. Who has been consecrated. And sent by the father. You're blaspheming. When you say you are the son of God. This isn't to bring God down. That's the way some people read this argument. It's not bringing Jesus down. It's saying if this is true. Of wicked men that you realize Scripture cannot be broken and God speaks in that way of these wicked men, how much more appropriate is God language concerning the Son, consecrated and sent by the Father? Building on this, the second part of his answer returns attention to his works, verses 37 through 38. Even if they don't listen to his words, listen to the works, hear what they testify of, And then come back to Jesus' words to interpret those works. If they listened to the works, they would understand that the Father is in Him and that He is in the Father. This goes back to His statement that I and the Father are one, but it's a little bit different. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. This is a truth so glorious 
that theologians have not tired of giving complex names to it. Perichoresis, circumincession, coherence, or the one that's most plain is mutual indwelling. The mutual indwelling of the persons of the Godhead. This is critical to a right understanding of the Trinity. Three persons, one God, one divine essence. I and the Father are one. They are all equally God. They don't partition in thirds the divine essence. As though the Son had a third of it, the Spirit had a third of it, the Father has a third of it. They don't chop up the divine essence. Jesus is truly God. He fully shares in the divine essence with the Spirit and the Father. As that is, whenever you find Jesus fully present with the divine essence, necessarily there you find the Spirit and the Father. The Spirit and the Father are in the Son. The Spirit and the Son are in the Father. And the Father and the Son are in the Spirit. The persons of the Trinity mutually indwell one another. They are distinct, the persons are, but they cannot be divided. And so, the works that Jesus does are the works of the Father. Where you find one person of the Trinity, you will find the other. And this underlies, as we've already seen, the foundation of your blessedness and assurance. Saints, do not, do not be afraid to dive into such deep wells. Plunge as deep as you can. Because here's the bedrock of your joy. And this is the ocean of, eternal, of your eternal delight that you will be one day free without hindrance to never plummet its depths, but enjoy ever more and more. Sheep, the one who laid down his life for you and took it up again and gives you life and secures it, the one who did that is God. The Father is him, in Him, He is in the Father, and they are both in you by the Spirit. Sinner, here's the dilemma laid before you, understanding this. Someone is blasphemed, not just then, right now. Someone is blasphemed. Someone deserves death. Now, many of you, you say, I don't outright deny Jesus. In fact, intellectually, with my head, I say, this is true. You don't deny, but neither do you believe with all your being. Your belief is the same kind of half-belief we've witnessed again and again in John. And half-belief, when pressed with the truth of who Christ is, denies Christ for idols. It blasphemes. Half belief is a full blasphemy. 
it blasphemes with you. You say, yeah, this is true with your mind, but with you, you refuse it. You reject it. You don't bow to Christ in repentance and faith. With the mouth of your soul, you fail to confess that Jesus is Lord. You don't believe. So I plead with you. If you cannot believe Jesus' words, which I think most of you here do, that you're, you, you're not in Christ, you don't believe, and yet you, you just believe intellectually. Look at His works. They demand of you repentance and faith. And confession of Christ as Lord. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Believe He is the bread of life. Eat and live. Believe He is the light of the world. Be delivered from darkness and walk in the light of life. Believe that He is the door. Enter by Him and find salvation and life, provision and protection. Believe that He is a good shepherd, that He has laid down His life for sheep. Do not be like these Jews who remain obstinate and blind in unbelief and rebellion. Again, they seek to arrest Him. Again, they fail. It's not His hour. He will lay down His life. No one takes it from Him. Their judgment fails. His judgment will not. He slipped through their hands. They will not slip through His, either in salvation or judgment. No one slips from His hands. Sinner, your unbelief does not make Jesus untrue. Your blindness doesn't eliminate the light of the sun. Deny His light. One day you will be unable to deny the heat of His wrath. By all their judgments, they've not condemned Jesus, they've condemned themselves. Do not walk in their footsteps. Do not harden your hearts. Do not follow the blind. Do not remain in your darkness. Turn to Christ. Now these interactions close with a change of setting. This closing setting closes out so much that we've seen in John. We find ourselves back across the Jordan. This is where we first began with all this witness language. John 1.28 These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. These things refers to John's witness, which is recalled with verse 41. Everything John said about this man was true. And the language, remember in John 1, concerning what John was doing was he was witnessing to the Christ, bearing witness that he was not the light, but he was sent before. What was John's witness? What was his testimony? John 1, 29-34. John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is He of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And so we see Jesus back across the Jordan 
Many are coming to him and they're believing. And what they're testifying is everything John said about this man is true. It reminds us of whenever Jesus form, uh, earlier left Judea to head to Galilee, went through Samaria, and there we find belief. And now he is once again outside of Jerusalem and there's belief. So it is that this trial closes. Who is Jesus? And with that question, it's not Jesus, but it's you who sit in the dock with pardon extended to you should you answer as Scripture has put the answer before you. You have the same witness before you that they did. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the bread of life. He's the door of the sheep. He's the good shepherd. He's the great I am. He is the Son of God. He's one with the Father. The Father is in Him, and He is the Father. He was the one who was in the beginning and who was with God, and who is God, and who took on flesh, and who, whose flesh was broken for sinners, whose blood was poured out for the forgiveness of sins, who took that flesh back up and rose to give life to all who would come to Him. Believe. Believe that Christ has died. Believe that He has risen. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that He is the Son of God, and that He is Lord. And He will give you eternal life, certain and secure. Who is Christ? The same witness is put before you. In John's narrative, this is the last time it was put before them. Soul, this might be the last time this witness is put before you. This might be Jesus' closing argument with you. Close with Jesus. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. You already sit condemned, but pardon is being offered to you in this question. Who is Christ? Don't close your eyes. Look to Jesus. Look to Him lifted up on the cross. Look to Him lifted up from the grave, and you will be saved. You will be saved certainly. You will be saved securely. You will be saved eternally. Held in His hands, the hands of of the one who is one with the Father. Let's pray. Holy Father, save now by Your Spirit, by Your Word, for Your glory, save now any here. And for Your saints, strengthen faith that they are held fast by the triune God and they will never slip from Your hands. And so may joy and thanksgiving be offered up to you now, the Lord of our salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. You're worthy of all glory and honor. In the strong name of Jesus, we ask this. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon audio from Meridian Church. Please feel free to share this resource with others. We only ask that you do not alter the content in any way. Again, you can find more resources at meridianchurch.com.